You're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Hey, everybody. Jeff here. Today, my guests are Calvon Hansen and Neil Ely from San Marcos, Texas. Calvon and Neil are the co-owners of Akaya Aveda Concept Salon in San Marcos, and they've been together in a relationship for 32 years. It's my pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me, guys. Thank you, Jeff. It's so nice for you to invite us to to do this. We're not sure why you did, but it's a great excuse to say hello again. I'm glad to see you as well. Yeah, thank you for coming down, Jeff. Sure. Um, I've been telling a few of my guests here at the salon during the day about us doing this. And the part that I had, I shared this with you in our email, that I had the hardest time telling them is the word remarkable in your uh, kind of text of, of, of leading into your show. So I still kind of awkward with that for some reason. I know for sure that you all are remarkable. Any uh, gay couple that last for 32 years is remarkable in my book. So tell me about that. How did you all meet? And tell me about your coming out journeys that brought you together. Okay. Um, We met on uh, October 2nd, 1985. It was a Sunday night. I had gone out to Uncle Charlie's in Austin. And on Sundays, you may remember, Jeff, that... um, all or many gay people go to Hippie Hollow and they wallow in the sun all day long and then they fall into Uncle Charlie's that feeds them hot dogs or fed them hot dogs. It doesn't exist anymore and, and cheap beer. And I didn't do, I don't do sun. I don't do Hippie Hollow, but I do Uncle Charlie's. So I showed up there. Very night. popular bar back Absolutely. in the 80s. And, yeah, yeah, sad that it's gone. Uh, but I showed up. Uh, freshly scrubbed, and I showed up to meet uh, several friends that I would meet there pretty often with, and I would stand in this one special spot beside the dance floor that had the most beautiful lighting and an air conditioner vent. So I looked fresh <laughs> as a daisy along with these still sweaty, sandy People that smell like hot dogs. From the beach. From the beach. (laughs) Okay. And I'm on the dance floor, and I'm dancing with a lot of guys. And one of my friends named Steve just says, well, there's a cute boy. You should go ask him to dance. And I said, well, you ask him. And he goes, oh, I'm shy. And I said, you are not shy. And he says, I can't go. And I said, okay. So I went over, and I asked cute boy to dance. And he came and he danced with us. I introduced him to the people that I was dancing with, and he just thought that I knew everybody in the bar. He didn't know we were dancing with a bunch of other people. And it was actually several months later that when we were telling our story about how we met, that he said, we were, I was dancing with you. And I said, well, you were dancing with me, dancing with a whole bunch of other people. But he didn't know that. Uh, do you want to tell your side sure, of the story? Sure, yeah. yeah. What was your um, perception, memory of that? Uh, first of all, 
it was November oh. of 1985, not October. <laughs> well, at least we're in agreement on the year. <laughs> we know it wasn't some other guy that wanted oh, yeah. to met. Yeah, it exactly. Was Although he told me his name was Kevin. In this dark thump, thump, thump bar, I didn't know what Kelvin was, but I did know what Kevin was. So for a day, he was Kevin. He was yeah, Kevin. Yeah, okay. yeah. And that was actually something I did on purpose because it was too hard to explain to people you know, enunciate. And so I just started telling everybody I was Kevin. Um, anyway, so, uh, at this time I was actually a professional ballet dancer at Ballet Austin and working very hard six, sometimes seven days a week. So Sunday was kind of my respite. Um, sounds kind of weird for someone who dances, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, seven days a week. But the way I like to relax was to go out dancing. <laughs> and so basically I kind of did the same kind of thing Neil did. I, I, after work, got all cleaned up and ready to go out. And I showed up also freshly scrubbed and fresh. And, um, I'm standing on the dance floor waiting for the first opportunity to dance with someone. And for whatever reason, I always, at that time, kind of still to this day, I, I like to be asked to dance rather than being the one who asks. I don't know why that is, just is. And so there was this guy across the dance floor that we kept, you know, kind of eyeing each other back and forth and that kind of back and forth little game. And I'm thinking, okay, crap. He He's not going to come over here. I, okay, I will go ask him. So I walked all the way across and I see him watching me go towards him and I look up to him. He's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, not my normal type. But anyway, and I said would you like to dance? And he looks down at me and says, I don't think so. Oh, and I'm just like, Oh crap. Why did you do this? Why did you go over there and ask? I mean, that's the reason I don't like to ask. Don't like to be turned down anyway. So I thought, well, I am not going to let him have the satisfaction of watching me walk back across the dance floor with my tail between my legs. (laughs) So I'm going to stand right here until he's so uncomfortable that he moves away. And about then, as you heard, Neil shows up and he says, would you like to? And I said, yes. <laughs> and I didn't even know who it was. I just knew it was my escape and somebody wanted to dance with me. So get on the dance floor. That's when I realized who had just asked me. And I recognize him as this guy that several weeks before I'd been at the bar, saw him from across the bar, standing in his pillar of light and beautifully fresh AC. outfit and AC. <laughs> yes. Um, and he smiled at me. So I mentioned that to him and said, oh, actually, our eyes met several weeks ago when you smiled at me. And what did he say? He I said, said the truth. I smile at everybody. Neil. So Kelvin met me uh, a few weeks before I met him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then yeah. what happened? Um, we danced the night away, uh-huh. and oh, and because Kelvin was a poor dancer, he was drinking con- Corona yeah. with lime uh-huh. beer, which he doesn't even like, but that's what he could afford. And so I asked him what he was drinking, and he told me. So I ordered us each a drink, and when he went over to the railing, it had a a top on it where you could set your drinks on this. Uh, it was a railing. And he missed it, and it fell straight to the floor. And before he could even look embarrassed, I said, I'll get you another. And I walked away. Yeah, well, and that was when I knew, oh, my God, I have finally found the guy I've been looking for my whole life. Back when I was in college, when I was first coming out, 
Um, one of the songs that was kind of popular at that time was I Need a Hero. And I, that just kind of became my mantra that that's the guy I was looking for. I was looking for kind of the white knight, the, the hero, the person that was going to be there for me and make me look good when I could look really bad. And I was him. You found your hero. I did. Well, so that sounds like a really magical night that brought you together. But tell me each of your coming out stories. I mean, how, what was the journey to get to Uncle Charlie's that night? Hmm. Um, wow. I didn't come out really till college. I kind of knew my sexual desires and those kind of things way before that. But I guess it was just being free when I went to college. I was, uh, I went away out of state. Um, there were only two other people in the whole university that I knew that were from my home state. So I think there was that safety that I wasn't going to run into anybody from home. Uh, and, I, a friend of mine, fellow dancer actually was the one that said, you know, we need to go out dancing again, dancing. And, uh, so, uh, that just kind of started me discovering what it meant to be a gay man. And I was lucky enough that, uh, one of the guys I dated, um, had, uh, friends that a couple that had been in relationship for over 20 years at this time. I'm in my, you know, I'm 18, 19 and they were in their 40s. And I didn't know any gay men, especially in their 40s, that had been together that long. And they just kind of became my mentors and my kind of surrogate parents that um, I really just kind of leaned heavily on them to help me kind of discover what it was like to be a gay man, what that meant they supported you yeah, yeah. and you observed them as well mm-hmm. yeah and just the, the fact that they had been together for longer than i'd been alive and i thought wow i thought you know this only lasted like maybe one night or or a week <laughs> or a month but definitely not years and they were just the coolest people uh their names were lynn and ralph and i just i loved them and I, I, we went and visited Ralph recently when I went back to Utah. Um, my aunt had passed away, and so we went to Utah, and I made a point to, to call Ralph and, and, and meet with him. And You've stayed in touch yeah, all these years. Yeah. yeah. Neil, what about for you? What was your journey? Well, I grew up in this fundamental Christian church family, and um, my coming out took longer, especially with my parents. Um, when I was a kid, a young kid, I was the one that played the piano for vacation Bible Bible school. And I was always there. I was the good kid that was, uh, if you were going to put a sign on me, it would be good Christian kid. Okay. (laughs) That was me. Good Christian. And so it was harder for me to really, well, first I didn't even know my truth when I was that young. I didn't know I was going to grow up to be a gay man. I knew that everything in my world was fabulous, but I didn't know why yet. Um, So I went on to church college, and as an adolescent and when I became uh, a young man, it became apparent to everyone else around me that I was a gay man, including the people at church. And so this glorious childhood turned into something that was kind of sour. I wasn't even really welcome even to sing in the church choir anymore. And so even though I went through a church college, I ran with a group of theater buddies, uh, girls and boys, 
we were like a herd and we did everything together and really none of us really dated. We just kind of all uh, grouped together with each other. And it was actually after college when I moved here to San Marcos as a young hairstylist that I began to explore my sexuality. And I remember how glorious it was the first time I ever walked into a gay bar in Austin to think that this beautiful place full of all these beautiful people that they, first of all, they didn't care if I was gay. And if they thought I was, they might even celebrate it with me. And for me, it was like a haven. It was like the best sanctuary. Talk about sanctuary. I felt safe there. And uh, uh, it was it was glorious. My mother died uh, shortly after Kelvin and I got together. At that point, he and I had had two relationships apiece that lasted a significant amount of time. And um, both of those other relationships, uh, boyfriend, husbands of mine, or I guess you'd call them partners at the time, uh, had been home with me at Christmas time. I have an older brother and a younger sister. They were both married at the time. And my mother or Santa Claus would give my sister and her husband a gift. The same gift would be given to my brother and his wife. And the same gift would be given to me and my current boyfriend, which I find a lot of humor in that uh, there were no... um, There was no mystery here, but the words were never spoken. And actually, uh, my mother died uh, of pancreatic cancer, like I said, shortly after Kelvin and I met. I would have been in my early 30s. And um, she went to the grave without us ever saying the words. But she was one of those people that she loved me through and through. There was never anything that I could have ever done that would have disappointed her. She adored me, and I adored her. I know that my whole lifetime, this time, has been shaped by the way she parented me as a as a child. My dad, on the other hand, made no bones about loving or uh, giving more affection to my older brother because he was the, the great heterosexual kid that could play baseball the best, and he was a fabulous student, and I was creative and made mediocre grades and so forth. And I was the little blonde gay boy that everybody knew was a little blonde gay boy, always. Um, my dad, at one point in time, shortly after my mother died, he, came, he would come to visit us almost every weekend, five-hour drive away. But um, my energy was the most like my mother's of the siblings that I have. I was my, just the way I am, was more like my mother. And I think he missed her so much that he needed to be around me that had her energy in me. And so uh, one particular weekend, we decided that he would go to MCC Austin with us. And it happened to be a Sunday that Calvin and I both, in our um, garb, we're up on the dais. Uh, and how many years have you been together at that point? About six, I think. Yeah, that sounds okay. right. About six. Half a dozen years or so. Uh-huh. And um, Daddy, we planted with two of our friends out front you know, in, in the congregation. And that particular sermon by Wendy Foxworth was about the ways that not all parents need to be honored if they're dishonorable. Oh, my gosh. For who we are. <laughs> I mean, we are who we are. He, and thought, there, he thought you all had paid Wendy. I guess, <laughs> I guess he did. And he sat through the whole thing, and he took communion, and he uh, went to dinner with us and our two friends that he sat with, 
And uh, after he got home, he didn't say anything the rest of that trip about it. But after he got home back to Abilene, he wrote me a letter. And in this letter, he said, uh, if you're living the lifestyle that your pastor spoke about and the lifestyle that she shared, that she and her partner uh, share, then you're going to hell. Okay. I sat down brokenhearted and I wasn't surprised, but I didn't know he would be that blunt with me. But I wrote him a letter back and I said, I I appreciate your thoughts. Um, This is my truth. This is who I am. And God is my only judge. He got, he received that letter and he sent me another letter. We, we communicated by letter a lot, apparently. And he said, um, I, I agree with you that God is your only judge. And we'll just agree to disagree on this subject. Um, and that's the way it remained for years. Uh, he passed away three years ago. Three years ago. And in the process of him passing, I went to Abilene every weekend. Kelvin went to two-thirds of those weekends. Sometimes he stayed home to take care of business and things here. But one particular weekend, Daddy said, I want to ask you a question. He said, somebody keeps making my bed. After I get out of it, I go back and it's made up. And nobody makes it during the week. I come back and it's made up. And then I get up and I get my recliner. I decide I need to lie down. I go back to lie down and the bed is made up. I have to know, are you making my bed? And I said, well, Daddy, I'm the only one here. I am making your bed. And he said, now, you know, I think it's wrong for a parent to choose a a favorite child. And I won't go there. But you have qualities some of the others don't have. I have one brother. I have one sister. But he thought I had qualities that some don't have. So in those last days, there was a shift. There was. And I see that that brings emotion to your eyes even now. Oh, I miss him to this day. You do? I do. Yeah. I've uh, been honored to know you guys for a long, long time. You were one of the first people that I met when I moved to Austin. And um, Neil, you're talking about being the good Christian boy, and you're talking about um, serving uh, worship uh, leaders in the church, and you're talking about also caretaking mm-hmm. others, and that seemed to be part of your all's relationship uh, oh, from oh, the yeah. outside. To you, you seemed partners in taking care of others. Mm-hmm. Can you say? Something? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I I'm a very um, passionate person about that. However, I also tend not to like people to get too close or to touch me. I'm I'm a little standoffish, and that's just from, uh, I guess, my upbringing in that. And so I tended to gravitate more towards leadership positions that help to guarantee that type of service that Neil could offer, the pastoral care and those kind of things. And so I was on the board of the church at MCC Austin, and my reason was so that I could guarantee there was a place for our community to go that would support them no matter what, whether they had family support or not. We were there, and this was, of course, during the AIDS crisis. We were dealing with this. The height of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember one particular Sunday, um, we were 
MCC was in transition. We were looking for a new location, and so we were having to meet in the First Unitarian Universalist Church on Saturday nights. And so Sundays we had off, technically. And we got a call, the pastoral Caroline got a call on Sunday morning that there was an individual who had passed and they needed services from uh, our pastoral care. What they were seeking was somebody uh, to baptize this woman. She had died. She had cancer, breast cancer, and it died. Her her name was Rose. And um, as a deacon at MCC, you know, I had helped serve the AIDS victims in such a huge way. I mean, I quit counting how many people I buried and loved uh, after there were 50. I didn't count anymore, and that was long before we were done. But I had never interacted this way uh, after a person had died. And I didn't even know as a deacon at MCC if I was could baptize somebody. But um, we got our clothes on. I'm, not, I'm directionally challenged. Kelvin got me there. And the whole way there, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? There had been times in hospitals in Austin that when I would show up, to give a young gay person their last communion, I didn't know if I would be welcomed in by the parents or if I'd be invited to leave because both happened all the time. Me showing up looking like a young gay man didn't necessarily uh, thrill a parent that had just learned that their young son was gay and he was dying. Uh, So I didn't know what the situation would be when I arrived at this Household. The, I knew that the woman's name was Rose, and the the man's name was Harry. And I envisioned a couple that were probably oh, in their seventies, had lived forever together, and this was just like a part of life. But it was a, a, going to be a parting for this elderly couple. I show we show up, and it was a beautiful, sunshiny day. There's butterflies. We see they lived in a cottage behind two women two lesbians that uh, had attended our church but were not members, but they knew to call there to try to get someone to help them, to assist them. As we show up, there's the justice of the peace, this sweet-faced woman looking at us like, where the hell have you been? We took way too long to get there. And what we didn't know, they had been calling lots of churches that morning trying to get anybody to come and to to do what Harry wanted done for his wife. But this was like a between 10 and 11 o'clock on yeah. Sunday morning. You can and imagine nobody's answering their phones. No, especially they, churches. No. Yeah. 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 Their, their churches are on, uh, they're getting voicemail. So we show up and, and the, it looks like a beautiful day, but we're met by adversity by the justice of the peace. And then uh, we were invited inside this cottage. It sounds like, uh, oh, like Snow White lived there. It kind of looked like Snow White lived there. We go in, and this room, this cottage, wasn't very big, but it was full of women in their late 20s and early 30s. They were all friends of Rose, and Rose was uh, about that age. She had died of breast cancer. They had all bathed her, and her hair was still wet, but it was long and dark, and they had braided it over her shoulder, and she was lying there on the couch looking like an angel, and... uh, Harry is this mammoth of a man that was in his late 20s, tall, long, dark hair, a full beard, and he walked straight over to gay me. I thought I might be invited to leave. 
He walked right over to me and hugged me as hard as any person has ever hugged me. I had taken some oil with me that smelled of uh, frankincense, and I uh, made the sign of the cross on her forehead. Wow. So I didn't know I was going to tell the story. And at her feet, I made the sign of the cross on both of her feet. It was a cathartic moment for me. And um, she did transition. Calvin, I, I guess I have to tell this, he actually saw her spirit leave her body. Wow. When I did this. And we had a prayer, and it was nice. And uh, we said goodbye. And later, like in a few days, here's yet another letter that showed up in our mailbox. It was from Harry, and it was him saying that uh, he had been so afraid that the wrong person would show up that he had grown up with a, in a household where um, he had a mother and three sisters. And he, he was used to female energy. And that when I walked in with all of my female energy, it was exactly what he needed. He was afraid somebody might show up and be too judgmental and too rough and too masculine with his sweet rose. The gay boys that met at Uncle Charlie's ended up being his angels. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here you are taking care of others, and I happen to know for many, many years, like you said, Neil, that the AIDS epidemic during those years was awful, and we don't talk about that much no. in I our fear community. that the young people that didn't live through it... Um, they don't have the perspective that we do. It's always been alive. It's always been a presence in their entire lives. So it's not really the threat that you and I uh, experienced. Yeah. Well, and I, I, um, I hate to say this, but I think for me at least, um, a certain amount of the reason our relationship has lasted this long is not only going through that experience, but also literally knowing because both of us, when we, talked about it. We said absolute fidelity to one another, nothing outside. And if you feel like you need to talk to me first. And so for me, I was in the absolute safest sex relationship I ever could be in. (laughs) And I wanted to live. So that I think encouraged me to work with this relationship. Obviously, there were lots of other aspects of the relationship that really um, nurtured me and took care of me. But that was, I, I have to admit, that was one of them was that there was this fear of that I may die trying to find love. Well, and and the truth is, Calvin and I both had kissed enough frogs <laughs> and we had not been tested that um, around, we met in November, around Christmas time, we decided that we needed to be tested. Mm-hmm. So we both, he went to Idaho to his family for Christmas. I went to Abilene for my family for Christmas, not knowing if either of us or both were infected at that point. And it was hard to be separate and then to have that not knowing. And at that time, you even had to tell them at the at the doctor's office, you couldn't give them your real name. Well, you could, but you, you could, could choose they, not to. You were, cho- you were told it was maybe safer because you didn't know what the government might do with your information. And so mine, uh, I didn't have, Neil did not have that test Mickey Mouse had that test, and I can't remember who. I don't even remember who uh, I chose. You, you, you used a pseudonym because it was so shameful and so hidden that you couldn't even use, you couldn't attach your name to it. But we both ended up uh, negative, thankfully. And like Kelvin has said, we've remained 
of what we know is what is faithful for our relationship throughout our 32 years. We're coming up on 33, and you know, that's as old as Jesus when he died. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's safe to say we may get to be wounded healers for even more people. Well, you know, our conversation today sort of mirrors what I know to be true for you guys, which is when you're with others, it's all about others. We haven't hardly talked about you all today. (laughs) We've talked about what you've done for the community. And so just in a moment or two, what would you say has been the glue that has held you together through what I assume to be some tough times? In 30-something years, it couldn't all be. It's not like it's all peaches. I mean, we do fight or we do argue. But um, we know what's the most important. Sometimes we just have to give each other some time. Um, I think we respect each other. Definitely. and um, Respect. Yeah, Mm -hmm. respect. I mean, love is is huge. We love each other, too. But respect is something different. Yeah, I think respect is the number one thing for me. And, And trust. That whole issue of us, once we found out we were negative and committing to one another that, you know, we were going to be exclusive to one another. It was not going to be, and that I trusted him enough that, I mean, I'll be frank, we did not practice safe sex at that point because as I said, I felt like we are negative. We're as faithful to one another as we're going to be. There's no chance of anything happening. Um, and then the last thing for me, um, yeah, is, it's love. I told Neil very early, probably within the first month, I said, I love you. I will always love you. There may be sometimes that I don't like you. And he didn't like that. He wanted me oh, to always like him. Oh, I, I want everybody to like him. <laughs> you said, don't you know? I wear the sign, good Christian boy. <laughs> Everyone likes yeah. good Christian boys, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I think just, you know, trust, respect, and, and love is just kind of what I held it. And, you know, a, a little bit frivolous. We're both pretty stubborn. We we don't want to give up on each other. Sometimes I think that it's kind off. of an advantage. Yeah, pays yeah. off. Guys, thank you so much. I wish we had more time, but I really appreciate you sharing your story and your journey and your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you uh, so thank much you for, for having asking us. us. Do you know any LGBT couples with interesting stories and wisdom to share on the show? Jeff would love to meet them, so please contact him through the website at qmarriagementors.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great week.